Hyperfascination. Welcome to this episode of the Hyperfast Wealth Show. Coming at you again on Zoom during the coronavirus quarantine. I am down in the secondary studio in the Florida house. Carrie is doing another show in our main shooting location down here. But we are pressing forward, moving on. On today's episode, we have a real estate investor who started out just two years ago, started off as a side hustle. We'll get into that and how he quickly started doing enough flips to quit his day job and build it into something in under two years that will be about 24 deals a year. Welcome to the show, Chris Clark. Welcome to the Hyper Fast Show, where we believe unlimited growth in business and life is created by surrounding yourself with people who have been where you are going. Learning from others allows you to compress time and grow hyper fast. And now, here are your hosts, Kerry Shaw and Dan Lesniak. Kerry and Dan are real estate developers, best-selling authors, billion-dollar agents, and million-dollar agent makers. And now, get ready to grow hyper fast. All right. Welcome to the show, Chris. We are excited to have you on. Before we dive into all the awesome stuff you're doing with investments in the DC area, why don't you tell the folks a little bit about your background, how you got started in real estate? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Dan, thanks for having me on. Big fan of you and Carrie and obviously on the team as well. So excited to join you today. A little bit of background about myself. So graduated college with a finance and accounting degree and uh, started working for a public accounting firm, hated it. And so then I switched and uh, began working for the largest REIT in the Washington DC area uh, in their finance department. And um, I always knew I wanted to start my own business, wasn't really sure what that business would be or how to do it. You know, as I started getting some more experience with, with the REIT, I realized that the majority of super wealthy individuals are investing in real estate in some capacity or another. And so, you know, I, I kind of realized that, that that's where I wanted to be. And so uh, once I realized real estate was going to be my vehicle, I uh, started doing some research, talking to other successful investors, and uh, I came across a, a national real estate educational program, I went through their coaching curriculum and uh, started my own company. This is all back in 2017. Then I joined the coaching program and started my company. And then since then, just kind of used what I learned and applied it to our local market and um, hit the, was able to hit the ground running pretty quickly. How many deals are you uh, on pace to, to do this year? This year? So um, my goal was to purchase 24 deals. Right now, I have 11 under active redevelopment with three more under contract to purchase. I was on track for that 24 number, not looking quite as likely at the moment due to uh, current circumstances, kind of just trying to see exactly what's going on. You know, not halting the buying by any means, but definitely being a little more cautious. And, you know, I already have three deals under contract that I'm working on getting closed and finding the lenders has been more challenging recently. So goal was 24. We'll see if we get there, but uh, might come up a little bit short this year. Yeah. The guys, the guys who either got cash or know how to find it are going to have a huge 
advantage right right now and and that's going to be the key to growth right is absolutely finding that cash or or investors right, right. they're 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 scared and you know we haven't seen huge price changes in the dc market if anything we're seeing more buyer demand and and less stuff coming on the market but investors are are a little bit more cautious for sure so getting right. cash to fund these deals i think is going to be a challenge for investors where do you normally get the capital for your deals in in the past so, so people out there know you know different ways that they can get capital for flips because you're, you're doing mostly flips right yeah all all flips right now uh so of the 11 active ones 10 are single family homes and then one is a, a four unit condo development that we're in the early stages of. And so as far as the financing goes, so always use uh, commercial financing in some capacity. So whether it's commercial financing coming from a bank uh, or a hard money lender, they're you know they're in the first position and they're typically lending about 80 to 90% of the purchase price plus 100% of the renovation cost. And then, in terms of the other 10 to 20% of equity, I am going out and raising that from, you know, going to meetups and meeting uh, real other real estate investors, uh, going to other professional networking events. So, you know, other business owners around the DC area, uh, friends and family. And then of course, once you get your foot in the door somewhat and people see that you're having success, you know, it starts getting a lot, a lot easier and people start reaching out to you asking if you have, uh, opportunities available. Yeah, that's 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 for sure, and it's it's really that compound effect, right? You at the first time you go out and fund a good deal, it might take a little bit of more work than than you thought, but then the next time it gets a little easier, and then and then you can start to like expand your capacity. And this investor had a good experience with you, talks to that investor, and all of a sudden, you know, a year later. Mm-hmm. You, you go from being able to do two, three deals, maybe uh, most at a time to like double digits, like, like you're doing. Right. Yeah. And I think it's a, I think a lot of newer investors might not even know that that's an option. So, you know, they're sitting on the sidelines thinking, okay, I got to have 20% for a down payment plus, you know, all my monthly interest carrying costs. I got to save my money for, you know, two years to even buy my first deal. But once you know, once you learn about how the majority of investors are raising money to cover all their costs, uh, and then you learn kind of how to, you know, pitch it to people and tell them all about all the benefits and the security in real estate. Uh, like you said, it's a, a compounding effect. What uh, what was it like your your first deal? So a lot of people out there maybe haven't done a deal yet or thinking mm-hmm. about doing their first one. Describe describe your first deal to us. Yeah. So the first one, uh, so I mentioned I went through my coaching program and started my own company. So started the coaching program in my company in December 2017 uh, and started actively looking for deals probably around March 2018. So, you know, four months of some pretty serious learning uh, and just getting my company set up. And then it wasn't, um, you know, so from March until July 2018 was when I bought my first deal. So it took me about, you know, four months of pretty actively looking for that deal. Uh, And, you know, I put a couple under contract, but once my due diligence started, realized it wasn't as good of a deal as I thought it was and uh, took a lot of, a lot of uh, willpower to let those deals go. You know, you always want your first deal so badly. 
but you definitely don't want to overextend yourself, especially on your first one. And so my first deal actually came from a, a realtor referral. It's an agent that I knew. She was actually a family friend growing up. And so once I was going into the real estate industry, reached out to her, set up a meeting and just let her know, hey, if you ever come across any distressed properties I'm looking to buy, kind of told her what my criteria was. And, you know, it wasn't more than a few weeks later, another agent in her office had a, a listing coming up, a pocket listing. And, um, you know, I was able to get access to it before it ever hit the market, put it under contract before, you know, anyone else even knew about it. That's awesome. Yeah. A lot of the best deals really never make it to the market. So you got to find out how to find those deals before other people do, whether it's networking, like, like you, you know, you've been doing or prospecting, knocking on doors, marketing, like you got to, you know, if you want the best deals, most of the time you got to get them before everyone knows about it. Right. Yeah. The off market deals are definitely going to be the the best deals. Uh, not to say there aren't deals, um, you know, on the MLS, but they're not going to be as heavily discounted. What What did the numbers look like on your first deal? What was the purchase price? The how'd you finance it? Okay, construction, yeah, let me, construction costs, all that. You remember that? <laughs> yeah, let me rack my brain for a minute. So it was a single family home in Alexandria, and the purchase price I want to say it was high twos, two ninety, maybe two ninety five. It was a two-level Rambler, and uh, the construction cost was uh, seventy-five. Uh, the financing—I used uh, a bank financing actually for this one, commercial bank financing. So got the lower interest rate at—I think at the time it was six percent. Uh, so six percent in a point. Got the twenty percent equity from an investor I met at a meetup, and then you know it took about five months to renovate it. And then ultimately resold it for I think it was four ninety nine, so not a not not a home run by any means, but definitely a good first deal, a good clean first uh, deal to put some money in your pocket and keep going. Yeah, so you, I mean, you were you're probably close to six figures on that, right? Or maybe maybe a little under. Uh, it was definitely under six figures. Yeah, um, yeah in, in that sixty to seventy range, if I remember correctly. For, for what six six months of work basically exactly yeah yeah so probably uh probably a little bit better pay than uh yeah well at the time i i was yeah. so i was actually part-time investing at that point right. I, still had my, I still had my full-time job with at the reit um and so you know i was checking in on the house on weekends and stopping by before work and yeah that's uh the profit i made from that deal was it wasn't more, but it was pretty damn close to what my annual salary was at my full-time job. Yeah, and only only six months, you know? You spent right. spent half a year, weekends. A lot of people start off in, in investing or in sales as a side hustle. Mm-hmm. Uh, when when did you finally uh, make the jump and, and quit your job? Yes, yeah, so I, when I started, you know, I kind of told myself I'd give myself two years of trying to, of doing it part-time. And then at that point I would, you know, see if this was something sustainable, something I could keep doing for the future and, you know, support myself from it. I think I lasted about nine or 10 months. I had done, after my first deal, I did uh, two or three more. And once they sold and I kind of took a look at my bank account and I was like, all right, I have finished three in the past 
um, you know, in the past 12 months. I have two more already going on. You know, I, this looks like something I can probably, you know, keep doing and even grow off of in the next 12 months. Like, let's just cut the ties and go all in. Um, and at that point, that's when I went from, so I did four deals when I was working part-time, or I'm sorry, when I was working full-time doing investing part-time. Uh, and then literally as soon as I quit my job and just fully immersed myself, pretty much doubled my business immediately and went from four deals to 11 deals the next year. Wow. What was your biggest, biggest deal you did that year? So that one was um, a single family row house in DC in the Petworth neighborhood. A little bit of a higher price point. I think the purchase was high fours. Similar did the bank financing as well at, you know, 6% in the point. The rehab cost was more substantial. It was a large single family row house, total gut job. Uh, if anyone's familiar with the DC market, you'll know most of those jobs are, are total guts, digging out the basement, doing some underpinning. That one took about seven or eight months and resold it for 875 range. Damn. So it was it was a pretty good deal. And that was yeah. my that was the first deal I did in DC, which kind of introduced me to the DC market. Yeah, and that's uh, you know something not all investors have to deal with, but we certainly do. Is is uh, the the differences in jurisdictions and right? You know, when you get into DC, it's a whole whole another set of rules and regulations that you got to navigate compared to Northern Virginia. Right. I also feel like there's no such thing as a cosmetic renovation around here. You know, it's either like what you guys are doing, knocking down and building new buildings, or you know, you're totally gutting the existing structure. You know, I don't see many deals where it's a little bit of kitchen and uh, bathrooms and paint work. Yeah. And I, I think really you kind of, those, those cosmetic flips just for, for people that are really good at, you know, different parts of the process, either finding the deal, raising the capital, the construction, the, the sales at the end for, for people mm -hmm. that are, that are good at one or more of, of those parts of the process, you know, they're just not going to be interested in that, that cosmetic flip. Um, right. So, so I think you either you either find the good deal and, and wholesale it right away and make a, make a quick but smaller profit, but mm. you didn't have to put you didn't have to close on it and 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 put your money in or investor money in. You didn't have to yeah incur closing costs. Right. You, you either go down that route if you, if you're really good, I think, or right. You add you do something like you're doing or like what we're doing to add to make it worth your time. Exactly. Right. Hey, that's a great point. We'll get right back to it. But first, I wanted to talk about a problem that so many real estate agents are facing. In fact, nearly 90% of agents are facing this problem. And that's the problem of going out of business. And then most of the ones that do are still struggling. They're struggling to get the results they want. But look, it doesn't have to be that way. I know because it wasn't that way for me. In my first year in real estate, I sold over $22 million in real estate volume. I wrote about it in my best-selling book, The Hyper-Local, Hyper-Fast Real Estate Agent, but I wanted to do something more for the industry. That's why I created the Hyper-Fast Accelerator Program. Now, I know what you're thinking, not another coaching program, or and I get it. The problem isn't lack of information. The problem is who to actually trust, who to believe, and most professional coaches never even sold themselves. So whether you're selling 10 homes and want to get to 20, or you're selling 20 homes and want to get to 50, we can help. 
right? We've done it. I've grown my team from 22 million volume to now over 400 million in volume. It's one of the top real estate teams in the country. This is what separates me from most real estate coaches. Like I'm still in the game. What I'm gonna teach you in this program is stuff that's actually working today in my business, all right? What would your life look like if you sold just one more home a month? If that's something you're interested in, if you want to get those types of results, click on the link in the show notes or go to bit.ly slash hyperfastcoach and sign up for a free discovery call. And look, we don't take anyone and everyone, all right? The problem with most real estate coaches is that they do, right? They try to cater to the masses. So we only take a few people on purpose because we want to provide highly strategic, individualized, personalized service to help you get the type of results you want and achieve your goals. Click on the link below, sign up for a free discovery call, and I'll see you soon. So, so what is the typical flip for, for you? Like how much, you know, are, are, you, are you increasing the square footage? Are you com- doing complete, complete, you know, reno on the inside? Like, like what's, what's the typical size of the construction job? Yeah, so like I said, 11 or 10 of the 11 are all single family row homes in DC which are all pretty similar. I rare, I rarely add square footage. Um, a lot of the times we're just coming in, keeping the existing, existing structure, uh, but taking it down all the way to the bones. Total gut jobs, digging out the basements. And so, you know, DC row houses, the ones I've been in anyways, range anywhere from about 1,200 square feet is the smallest I've seen. Uh, and then all the way up to, 3000 is, is pretty large. So obviously those, those scopes and those construction budgets look quite a bit different. You know, that could range on the smaller side, anywhere from 80 grand all the way up to, you know, north of 300. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and ours, you know, for us, that would be a, a lighter project. Um, right. You know, we're, we're, we're typically now trying to increase density, but um uh, you know, and, and you're doing that too now on, on your four unit, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And what's, and, how, how'd you find that project and what are you, what are you doing on that one? So that project, that was actually a deal on the MLS. So I, I think most investors will tell you they don't even look at the MLS. They think, they think it's a waste of time. I disagree. I think, you know, it's, it's free leads essentially. And if, you know, you have some extra time or I've actually now outsourced the task, but I mean, why not take a look and analyze deals and make some offers? Uh, so anyways, that was an MLS deal. And I went into it thinking it would just be a single family row home. Um, it's a beautiful location down in uh, Capitol Hill in DC near tons of other new development. And, um, you know, while I was there checking out with my contractor, we saw, you know, condo conversions all over the place. They were putting up a 325 unit building behind us. Uh, another 44 unit complex on the other side of the street. So we were like, all right, what is the zoning here? So we checked out the zoning and it was uh, zoned MU4, which if you're familiar in DC, that's kind of the the holy grail of zoning. Yeah, we got a lot of those. <laughs> yeah, there, so it, it's you could do mixed use, um, you know, commercial or residential condos. And, you know, as far as I know, either the agent didn't understand what MU4 zoning was, um, cause you know, they just, they just put it on the residential portion of the MLS. They didn't put it on the commercial side or anything. So I think a lot of people looking for those condo conversion deals just missed it, you know, and, uh, as a single family home 
wasn't quite the home run, but as a condo conversion deal, yeah, it was a no brainer. Yeah, did did the agent not know to market it that way or that's what I'm guessing. Yeah. Uh, I'm guessing they weren't aware what the zoning was and what that means exactly and how valuable it actually could be. Yeah, as an as a agent, you know, this is when you find the good deals in the MLS if they don't really market it as its highest and best use. Exactly, right. I, I think I think that can happen. Or if, if they if they do a bad job of marketing, they overprice it. Uh, have you ever gotten a, a good deal in the MLS just because you negotiated and got more off than you, you probably thought you would have? Yes, I mean, several times. You know, so I, I bought several properties off the MLS, and I would say zero of those have come on the first offer. So, you know, it's getting to the making your offer quickly. A lot of times they, you know, they'll reject it right off the bat, but just implementing a follow-up system. So I'll, you know, follow up maybe once a week or every other week, depending on how far off we were. But, you know, a lot of times the agent three, four months later will come back to me and be like, hey, you still interested, uh, you know, with the offer you made two months ago or whatever. And I'll be like, I'm still interested, but, you know, now my, my capital is a little more tied up, you know, maybe, uh, you know, labor has increased, so I'll, I'll try to get a few more, you know, go a little lower than what my previous offer was. Yeah. What What other, uh, I like that idea. What What other negotiation techniques, strategies do you, do you, do you have for, for our listeners? Yeah. I mean, so I would say the, one of the, one of my go-tos is, you know, I actually learned this from you guys is coming up with uh, not a random, but I guess a random number, right? So instead of, you know, let's say the asking price is 500, instead of coming in and saying, I'll, I'll, you know, 450 or, you know, whatever, I would go in and offer, you know, 451, 360 or something like that. Um, you know, that kind of shows that I've really plugged my numbers. Um, and this is, you know, there's a reason I've arrived at that number. Uh, so I think a lot of times they'll take that offer more seriously and, you know, not just think I threw 450 out there to try to lowball them. So that's one. I mean, I would say there's less negotiate negotiation on MLS deals. Um, you know, if you're negotiating directly with the seller, then I think you, you know, you use more of trying to get what their motivation is, you know, okay, are they looking for the highest price or is there other things I can offer that are more beneficial? So, you know, just understanding what their why is, um, you know, maybe, there's so much trash and debris in the house that if you just offer to take all, like, you know, just say you can leave all your, all your stuff, I'll take it. That might be worth, you know, 50 grand to them right there. Or maybe they're just desperate for cash. And if you can close in 10 days, you know, they don't even care what you pay. So when you're working directly with the seller, definitely just trying to understand what their pain points are and, you know, how you can help them the most. Yeah, it's all good stuff. I, I, I like that one about the the exact offer. I've just found anytime you do that, they they assume that there's a lot of thought and calculation behind it. Like he right. either calculated how much he can pay for it, or he really studied the comps and like did some complex price per square foot or something. <laughs> you know, it just looks more more thoughtful. And and I've and I found more often than not they they take it. Right. Yeah. No, they definitely value it higher. Uh, what other what other tips would you have for someone who's starting out or or, or doing flips at at the level 
you are like what do you what do you think are the some of the more important things from from the you know the do- dozens now that you've done in just a right. short time i definitely think you want to have some uh, intense market knowledge you know really study what your local market is doing really drive down in those comps and see okay you know why are these houses selling higher than the others you know just for example in dc i have a a house it's 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 in northeast dc but it's you know half a block away from north capitol street so um on the other side of north capitol street is northwest dc and just being in that opposite uh quadrant has almost a six-figure effect on sales prices it makes absolutely no sense to me so like the, the house i own is uh the exact same size actually has bigger square footage and it'll probably sell for about a million. And then a house literally 0.1 mile away on the other side of North Capitol street, uh, just sold for one point. Uh, I think they actually got it into the 1.2s. Uh, so in this scenario, uh, over $200,000 difference just from being across North Capitol street, which in my mind is outrageous, but that's what the market's telling me. You know, so market knowledge, I think you can never have enough education. Um, So, you know, whether your method of education is podcasts and reading online or, you know, finding a mentor or joining a coaching program, uh, there's obviously multiple ways to get that education. Uh, Just make sure you're always learning and learning from people who are doing it and not just these, you know, gurus you can find online and you pay, pay a couple thousand dollars and be no better off. Yeah, a, lot, a lot of the, the RIAs are like that now too, right? It's like guys, who, they're, they're these big investor meetups and they've never really done a ton of deals, right? Right. I'm sure you've come across some of those. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the guys who set up the, you know, the RIAs, they do it because, you know, for, you know, maybe they want wholesalers to bring them more deals and think of them first, um, you know, or, just getting credibility to raise money. I mean, there, there's definitely benefits of hosting, you know, your own meetup events, but it doesn't always mean that you have the, you know, that you're the, uh, you know, done a bunch of deals and whatnot. All right. Before we wrap up, I want to go through our hyper fast round, some rapid fire questions. You ready? Okay, here we go. All right. What is the biggest challenge you've had as a real estate investor and how'd you overcome it oh man i'm sure as soon as i say this another big ass problem will <laughs> pop up <laughs> so far my biggest problem has been uh dealing with title issues so it's a long story but short of it is i bought a house that had uh, title issues and it took about 10 months to resolve actually still dealing with it still going in and out of court uh but Definitely make sure you buy title insurance. Yeah. Did, did you have title insurance on it? I'm sure I did. You did right? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Thank God. Um, so that, you know, the title insurance attorney took care of it, but it was basically 10 months of someone living in a house that I owned. Uh, I couldn't do any renovations to it. And, you know, 10 months of hold time plus legal fees, you know, really, really eats into your profit, obviously. Yeah. What was, uh, what was your 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 um your biggest deal and uh how how did you find it so my biggest deal so far has been the 
the single family row home in Petworth that I mentioned earlier, uh, the first deal I bought in DC. And that was actually brought to me by a wholesaler. And a lot, I like that, that that was your most profitable, biggest deal. And it was a wholesaler because a lot of people have this negative connotation about wholesalers, but really they're just bringing efficiency into the market. And, right. you know, that guy made money and, and you made a lot of money. So, yeah, it's a win win for everyone. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think his assignment fee was 10 grand. Um, you know, I, I'm not, I don't have, you know, I don't spend that much money on marketing. So I'm more than happy to pay someone you know, 10 grand to find me a great deal if they're going out there and doing the legwork. Yeah, totally agree. What is the uh, biggest mistake you think most people make when they're starting out? The biggest mistake. I think the biggest mistake people can get caught doing is overvaluing uh, their properties, ARV, and kind of latching onto a deal and trying to make the numbers work because they want to get the deal so bad. So, you know, you'll you'll start overlooking things that, you know, okay, um, you know, this comp sold for 500, but you know, it has a garage and it has a deck and I don't have a garage. I'm not going to build a deck, but mine's going to be special. And I think I can still get 500, which isn't the case. Those things have value. You have to be realistic and uh, don't overestimate what you think your house is going to sell for. Yeah. You got to know your numbers and, and uh, people suffer from, thinking it's it's worth more I, I don't know why everyone does that but but they do um, right so so know your numbers know know the market too like Absolutely. you said earlier last one what uh or or where where do you see yourself in five years five years from now you know i hope to keep growing my development business so right now you know i've hired a couple uh, employees over the past six months so I want to continue to build that out and always, I think my bread and butter will always be, you know, development in the DC area. So a mix of the single family row homes, uh, I definitely want to get more involved with the condo deals as well. Uh, you know, bigger projects and bigger profits. And then the ultimate goal is, uh, you know, adding uh, a cash flowing rental portfolio, you know, building up, uh, I've always said my goal is a hundred grand of passive income a month from rental properties. Uh, so start working towards that. Are, are you going to look in other markets for that or just stick to the DMV area? Yeah, I think as much as I would love for it to be the DMV area, uh, everyone I've talked to about rental investing in our area sounds like it's a tough era, you know, tough location, not saying it's impossible, not saying there aren't good rental deals, but I think to scale it, um, I would have to look at some other markets as well. Yeah, no, that's it's a it's always uh, you know a, a a point to consider for the people like us that are you know getting these big hit hit flip kind of deals. Uh, it's like okay, how do I get this into to rental? Well, unless right. unless you're unless you're gonna really scale, you might have to look into other other markets. Yeah, I mean, have you thought about picking up rentals in our area? There's a couple of our projects we might we might end up. Uh, refinancing at the end and, and making into to to rentals and and we've uh-huh. got an advantage there because we're doing the development piece of it you know right. but buying buying existing rentals in the dc market you know you're gonna you're gonna be at like a four percent cap rate if, right. unless you gotta like do a lot of work to it so um it's, it's just 
and and the rents are so high at a four percent cap rate, you know, you're you're usually at least like five hundred grand a, a door. Right. And in some markets you're fifty grand a door. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, definitely um not the best market for it, but obviously opportunities out there. But the good news is the DC market is resilient when it comes to recessions and uncertainty and you know, so far from what I've heard from other markets across the U.S., it's it's holding up pretty well during uh, the coronavirus. So, yeah, hopefully it stays that way. Yeah, well, uh, we'll see. You know, whether two thousand eight nine uh, time period better than any other market. So, we shall see. I know, I know, you've got a lot of uh, projects. Uh, we do too. Plenty of. Uh, Plenty of margin on them though, so I'm I'm quite confident that, that we're gonna deliver no matter go. what's going on, and uh, I'm sure you are as well. Before we uh, finish up, if people want to uh, contact you or connect with you, what's what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, so uh, best way is probably through social media. So I'm on my personal Instagram is at Chris Flipping DC on Instagram. Uh, the name of my company is Summit Realty Investment Group, at Summit Realty Investment Group on Instagram uh, and Facebook. And then you can check out our website, www.summitrealtyinvestmentgroup.com. All right, guys, connect with Chris. Thanks for being on the show. And for all you guys out there who tuned in, thanks for watching. Make sure you uh, subscribe and check out our other episodes. See you guys next time. All right. Thanks, Dan. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Hyper Fat Show. Subscribe to us if you want to make sure you get the latest and greatest Hyper Fat Shows. And remember, we love reviews. Reviews help us bring better and better guests, improve our shows, and give us the good, the bad, and the ugly. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we will see you next time.